welcome to Five Holes in the Fence podcast. My name is Jamie. I'm Riley. And we'll be talking about all things Taylor Swift on this podcast. So for all of you who are joining us today that, you know, are not my professor, welcome. And we're so happy to have you. Thank you for listening in. (laughs) So excited. Okay. My name is Jamie. Um, My favorite Taylor Swift era is Red. My favorite album is a tie between Folklore and Lover. And my favorite song right now is Ivy. Riley, do you want to introduce yourself? Such, such a good song. Okay, so <laughs> again, I'm Riley. Um, I would say my favorite album is Reputation, but Speak Now sits in the little wings waiting to take its place, but I don't think it's going to happen. My favorite era is probably 1989, but I do love Lover. And my all-time Taylor favorite Taylor Swift song is New Year's Day, No Competition, New Year's Day. If you know, you know. So who's Taylor Swift? Well, she's one of the most polarizing figures in pop culture. And what is she, Riley? She is the music industry. She is the music industry. Um, There's a permanent place made by Taylor for herself in pop culture. And the music industry and the fashion world um, kind of revolve around her in certain ways. And um, what I really think is interesting about Taylor Swift is that she aligns her personal style, her persona, her public image around the projects that she's working on. And what I think is really fascinating about her and what we're gonna dive into today is how each of her albums align with her public image and her wardrobe. So that's what we're gonna be looking at. So for every era, we'll be discussing the following, the message of each album or era, advertisements and promotions for the album and the era, release dates and music that's affected by the time that it's released at, Um, Obviously, her fashion style, um, if it's relevant, we'll talk about her location or the defining friendships and relationships of the era. And then we'll finish off by talking about the defining song of the era. Um, Any predictions regarding the re-records, if applicable? Let's get started! Let's get into it. (laughs) Let's get into it. So for debut, this is her first album and it was released on October uh, 24th, 2006. Riley, what do you think the theme or message of this album is? Uh, Debut itself had to do with a lot of just innocence and there was a lot of joy surrounding the album. It was Mm -hmm. just about loving being young and like loving love and learning what comes with being someone in high school. And especially even with her era that translated into like her joy and innocence in entering the music industry and entering the world that is being a celebrity and being an artist. So just like that, definitely like there's a little bit of naivety to it and just like a super honest humbleness to it. That's super sweet. I agree. I think that the message of this era is just being a young teenage girl. She's super relatable. Um, She's a high school character in all of her music videos and her songs. She really targets this niche audience of young teenage girls who like country music and have that whimsical dream, that fairy tale daydream inside of them. And it's just so relatable. And I think that's what shot her to success. And in doing a little bit of research for this podcast, I came across a video um, by Modern Girls on YouTube, and they talk about the style evolution of Taylor Swift. And one thing that they um, attribute this type of niche um, audience to is actually post 9-11. And you have like this patriotism um, view in America and you have Taylor Swift, who's like this classic Americana, you know, America's sweetheart, um, yeah. cowboy boots kind of look. And it's really relatable in that time period. So I think she picked the perfect time to bring out that niche. And I think that um, attributes to a lot of her success as well. I think it was also super easy um, just being like you're saying, like super relatable, bringing in content to almost an unrelatable genre. Like it's really hard as someone who... I mean, I was genuinely six years old in 2006 listening to Taylor Swift, but I mean, she was a high schooler, but anywhere you were in that category, like it's really hard to listen to Beer's Truck and like Beer's Truck and Mudding and being yeah, like, you're so right. relatable music to me. Like, mm-hmm. trust me, I love it now. Don't get me wrong. But like, it's yeah. really hard to find something that like drags you in and listening to like Tim McGraw has shaped what I want a man to think about me like, like mm-hmm. I want you to listen to Tim McGraw and think of me. Yeah. I do. So it's like I re- those things that like, <laughs> uh, just cha- life changing. And as someone who was so young and grew up around country music, it was the first time that I found an artist that like spoke to me in a genre that I loved that I never felt connected to in that way. 
Mm-hmm. What are like the main like key fashion points of this era? What are some styles that you see that are really predominant in this like debut era? Um, obviously she had her natural long curly hair, that blonde mm-hmm. look, step on the scene with it. She wore cowboy boots with everything, with her jeans, with her dresses. And I mean, like, we all know that the defining colors, all of the albums, all the eras have their defining colors. And I would easily say debut is that green color that like the, I look at it and I, that turquoise color, that green, I had mint green uh, walls in my childhood bedroom. And I, I look around and that's what I see. I see that like pastel green and those turquoisey blues. And I just like, almost like an aquatic mermaid type energy. I don't know how to describe it any other way, but those colors. Yeah, um, I agree. That just like define it all for me. Like I could see those and be like, debut. Really think about how, um, you know, she played on these like fantasy elements while remaining wholesome and romantic and relatable and age appropriate. I think that's a huge thing too, is she never came off as scandalous. I mean, maybe like the one scandalous picture I have of her in this um era is her in picture to burn where she comes off a little bit more dark with darker makeup heavier eye makeup but for the most part this album really set the tone for her style and image and career for the years to come um it's a youthful teenage look the signature cowboy boots and sundress we see repeated over and over again and um i think that also like aligning with this wholesome and age-appropriate wardrobe um this removed herself from any negative connotations that being a young celebrity had like she really removed herself from the drama at the beginning of her career and came off as america's sweetheart which is a really really good marketing tactic absolutely and even when you look at something like picture to burn you can look at other major icons within the country music industry at the time, like Carrie Underwood, or obviously previously the Dixie Chicks, and stuff like the Picture to Burn outfits and energy were not unusual to country music, so it still wasn't so outrageous for something like that to come out of a new country star. Where it wasn't that Britney Spears type sex appeal, it was just that country music angst that she Mm -hmm. was trying to pull out that would be inspired by people that came before her i'm going to talk about the defining song for this album for me i think that it's a place in this world um the themes in the song are relatable so you have small town girl big dreams she's opportunistic she's independent um she says in the song i'll be strong life goes on and the fiddle in the back is just so like classic country and she's singing about the radio and her blue jeans and wearing her heart on her sleeve it's pure it's innocent it's good and um i think that this really sets the tone for the era okay as much as i do i do agree (laughs) i do have the defining song of the era is tim mcgraw because it was her shot up to fame Mm -hmm. i wouldn't necessarily say as much as it defines everything that has to do with the complexities of the era, I think it is such a quick tie when you immediately see like how much it discusses her country roots. It discusses like what life was like where she was growing up and like she was living and even just like the music she was listening to, like genuinely saying like, when you heard Tim McGraw, I hope you think of me. And being like, I hope when you think of country music, when you think of these things that are around us, it's me that you see. Um, I also just, Tim McGraw was that song. Tim McGraw was the first song I ever heard by Taylor Swift. It was her first single? Yes. Uh, yeah, right? it yes, it was. Yes, it was. I was like, I don't want to get that wrong. <laughs> yes, it was. And so, like, I, I know I feel song. like there might be a few things on here that I'll have to fact check after the fact, but exactly. I'm pretty and that's sure. Exactly. I'm like, I'm like, <laughs> I think I want to, I was like, I'm pretty sure it was. So, I like, I heard that song. I listened to country music as a kid, and I remember just being like, like I said, I was enamored with it. And everyone else was too. And that defined the rest of, what would end up being her career if that song had never come out if that was never the the single they had chose who knows if we would have taylor swift the way we have taylor swift today mm-hmm. so for me like that's career making no no that's actually a really good point point. and i i was struggling to pick a song that i thought was defining of this era because i wasn't sure if we were going to go with like lyrics or energy or actual like um my success. list goes all over the okay my list goes all over the place on this so that's this is one of the only ones that's really specific to that. Okay. Do you have any re-record predictions surrounding debut or her self-titled album? I th- I think debut is going to be last. 
I, I really agree. do. I agree. I, I think, think it's a really nice and way I, for her to finally own her name. I think it's full circle. I think mm-hmm. it's like to open with debut and then to close with it with this whole chapter. Um, I think is like a beautiful symmetry. Uh, just it's so romantic to me. Mm-hmm. Um, she loves and symbolism. I could just yeah, she does, and I genuinely could just see like that, like Taylor Swift, Taylor Swift, Taylor's version. <laughs> Oh my god, the parentheses. (laughs) Uh, All right, let's jump on to Fearless, November 11th, 2008. What do you think the theme and the message is here? I think like a main thing that came with Fearless was elevation as well Mm -hmm. as like being viewed as older. I think she really wanted to start being viewed as someone who wasn't just a child anymore, which is where a lot of those like romances came into play and a lot more stylistic efforts, a lot more not edginess but even like just the way that she styled herself during the era you can see that there's a separation of those like bright colors that she did for debut and then the deeper darker colors that she uses within fearless to try and just show that she is not she's not so far apart but she's not the same as she was so i think it was a lot about like elevation and growth um age-wise and just like coming of age almost like that buildings roman style she's no longer a child Mm-hmm, I agree. Um, I wrote down princess, not a pop star. So I think that's another topic here. It, it continues off of that whimsical romance of um, the first album, and it really continues on into this more sophisticated type of uh, romance and sophist- sophisticated type of whimsy about this. <laughs> One of my favorite styles of this era is the low headband, like flower crown things that she used to wear. Do you know what I'm talking about? Absolutely. Mm -hmm, Of course. Um, It's Um, a very like hippie or flapper kind of inspired, I would say. I was going to say, but you look at, I was about to say my favorite thing that she did the whole, um, during the whole era was she wore flapper inspired dresses, a lot of fringe, a lot of sequences, Mm -hmm. uh, sequences, sequins, the blacks and golds that like are defining like when, I don't know, have you ever been to, like my grad was great Gatsby themed and everything yeah. sequins, black and gold. Like it's well, like, I and that had was fearless. 20th birthday and my 20th birthday was roaring 20s themed and I made everyone dress up like flapper girls. Yeah, so. I know exactly. What you mean. And it was, it was that style of, and that, I mean, as well as like rolling into her 20s, how old was she in 2008? 1819. So you have to think like, she's like roaring 20s that like, um, that type of flapper inspired garments as she's leading into her 20th year is mm-hmm. like a super cool connection as well. Her yeah. roaring 20s were about to start and she wanted to prove to people that that's where she was at. Mm-hmm. Um, some other like key pieces of this era, I would say are like the riding boots. I think she wore a lot of riding boots. Um, yeah. Oh, sparkles, glitter, tulle, pleated skirts, knee-high socks. One of the best things about this era is her red carpet looks and how she really, like, dove into that um, storybook romance. And she would wear these princess gowns on the red carpet. And um, while those aren't my favorite looks of hers on the red carpet, they are the most notable of this era. There were also things she did in the era that she would have never done previously. And even now, like, still hasn't done things like it was the... Oh, man, this is going to be one of those fact check moments. I think it was the uh, Country Music Awards, and she did a performance on stage where she quite literally sat in a rainstorm while singing. And there were these things that she that. did. Yeah, and it's like these things. And now I'm like questioning if this was during Speak Now, but I don't think it was. Do believe it was during Fearless. The photo on my computer. I but, feel like it would be fearless. She she loves singing about kissing and dancing in the rain. I feel like that would that's such it a was fearless theme. It was a fearless thing. It absolutely was. I don't know why I'm mm-hmm. questioning myself. Um, but she stood on the stage and a downpour of rain came down in the middle of the music awards, and she sang in the pouring rain and walked off the stage sopping wet. There were these moments where she was like, I need to prove myself. I need to show I'm not just a country music star, that I am a performer. Mm-hmm. And that was a big level of the elevation that she needed to bring to the table. Um, in a way, I really like how um, she talks. Well, I mean, I love the way that she talks about all of her albums and how insightful she is. But she said, 
Fearless was an album full of magic and curiosity, the bliss and devastation of youth. And I think that that, you know, what you were saying earlier about taking that elevation and proving herself, it, it, it still ties back to those um, innocent beginnings. Um, but I think that it's a really, really beautiful album that elevates her and takes her from like, you know, lucky to make it to I deserve to be here. I think there are two albums in her career that defined her as an artist and created the platform in which she stands on now. And I think they are the ones that absolutely gave her her name to this point in time. And Fearless is one of them. I'll get to the other one after, but Fearless is one of the two that I believe like mm -hmm. set her in stone. Before we get into the defining song, I just wanted to ask if you remember the heart Sharpie that she would write on her on her foot. On her foot? I do. It was in like black. I used to do it when I was a kid. I did it too. And up until I did it when I was a kid. Yeah, I did it too. And up until I think like a few months ago, I found out that it wasn't an actual tattoo. And I was like, oh, what? I've been playing. Stop. Yeah, I know exactly I know. what you're talking about. Though. I absolutely used to draw it on my foot in black Sharpie. Yeah, I, every single time, I like, I have a bunch of tattoos now, but when I would go get a tattoo, I'd always think to myself, like, man, Taylor Swift's tattoo on her foot must have hurt so bad. I was just being a full-on idiot. Oh, God, Jamie, do you want to get matching hearts tattooed on her feet? <laughs> yes, I do. Stop. <laughs> um, oh, shoot, we jumped over friendships and relationships. Okay, obviously most notable, Joe Jonas. Joe Jonas. Thank Mr. Perfectly you, Joe Jonas. Thank <laughs> um, you. Abigail comes up again in 15. Yes. And then if you're a gayler, which Riley and I both are, you'll know that she was seeing her fiddle player from this time. Yes. Yes. You um, also, there are, there are also some, like, other notable um, people within Fearless itself. Um, you have... Steven, which is actually one of the band players that she was on tour with that she had a crush on. So he was either in the opening band or he was in her band. And there was like a crush there that they not, neither of them ever spoke about until her song came out. And then he wrote a song back as a response. So you have, Whoa. that was like never anything, but it was something, you know what I mean? Like it, that's what inspired Hey Steven. It's really fun to look into as well. Well, that's a great segue, because I was going to say, Hey, Steven is the defining song of this era. Uh, you too? No. <laughs> oh, okay, okay. Well, you gave me this look like you picked that one too. Um, no, so I do. I, hey, Steven's my favorite song on the album. <laughs> it is my favorite song too, and I think it is the most defining song on the album, because not only is it like relatable and feels very domestic, but it also has elements of that dream and that fantasy like um you know relating to love story throwing pebbles writing songs about your manager says she says like would they write a song for you and throwing pebbles at your window and stuff I think that's very romantic those romantic elements of the album but it also talks about um being seen walking and chatting with her crush and stuff which I think is also really relatable to teenage girls so I think that Hey Steven ties both of those elements of the album together I do fully respect that um, I did not expect you to choose, um, I did not expect you to choose Hey Steven, I just never thought you'd pick that one. Um, I sat for a while and pondered between Fearless and Love Story, but ultimately chose Love Story for the same reason as I chose Tim McGraw. I feel like it's hard with her early, um, albums to define them as eras because she didn't quite do that yet. It wasn't something that she had implemented so much until later, and now we're able to reflect back and know that they were there as well. But it was more just an evolution of age than it was an actual defined era the way that it is today. But I did choose Love Story because I think Love Story would still be like her most, like her most famous song that mm -hmm. she's ever had as an as an artist. It's it's the song that everyone knows. You know Taylor Swift if you know Love Story. And, like, fun fact about me, I'm not really a Love Story fan. I only became a Love Story fan in the last, like, two, three years. I actually did not like it when I was young. Taylor That's Swift, a hot I'm sorry. <laughs> That's, it's a hot take. It's a hot take. I didn't love it when I was young. I don't know what it was about it. I just didn't love it. But I would scream it to the deaths in a club now. But... Um, I think Love Story just was a little bit more elevated than some of your younger stuff. I also think that it just had just some notes of like 
that's still being young, but now bringing in those feelings of being in love. I think a lot of fearless was about like, I don't know, it brought in the Romeo and Juliet story. It was about breaking borders and it was about doing not what you're necessarily supposed to anymore. You're not a child and you know what you want and you want to go for it. And that type of elevation that she took in a lot of her um, performances in the way that she was acting in her outfits, you, you just see that like she wanted it. So she was going to go for it. Energy that was starting to come out of her that we see so much later on that you see in Love Story. And it's also just like, career defining I don't know I think everything she does is career defining honestly but like mm-hmm. love story made it for her it made the difference so true I actually was watching her um artist of the decade performance yesterday yeah. and when she sang love story watching the way that everyone was singing in the crowd just was so moving and you know what's actually so funny is I did love love story when I was a kid I remember watching the music video for the first time and I emailed it to my grandma actually and I was like grandma she's my oma oh my you gotta check this out this is my new favorite artist her name is taylor swift look at this music video on that show i'm amazing um but what's so funny is when she re-recorded it and she released love story as like the first re-recorded single i remember driving to my boyfriend's house at like i don't know 11 at night and just bawling my eyes out like it just brought out so much nostalgia in me and hearing her matured voice sing that song again and knowing that she owned it, oh my, that just really like pulled something in me. So There's you know what? You changing. might have changed my mind. You might have changed my mind here. You're so right. Ding, ding, ding. <laughs> Do you have any comments about the re-records? I have, in just a comparison between Red and Fearless as a re-record, mm-hmm. I believe that the Red recording, which I get into this in the next one, but mm-hmm. Red recording had better vault tracks. Fearless had a better re-record. I don't disagree with you. I think that you're super, you hit the nail on the head. Like, that was so right. Great statement. Like, as the core, as, like, the core tracks, Fearless was a better, like, it was a better re-record. And so, ultimately, like, in in its, like, entirety, I think it was better. But I do, oh, my God, you're going to toss on any of those red re-record vault tracks, or, like, any of the red vault tracks? Send me, I'm going crazy. So good. So good. So good. Are we ready to move on to the next era? How do you feel? Yeah. I, this is filling you with no, so much energy. What's the theme here, Riley? Lay it on me. Experimentation, heartbreak, and like renewal in yourself. Like I believe it in like a prideful knowing you weren't wrong, coming on the other side of a breakup, feeling stronger, not more torn down which is something we won't see later on. But I think there's, in a lot of her songs on Speak Now, you see even when she's feeling destroyed and like heartbroken and just like the way you do after a breakup, she knows in herself where she stands and what she did was the best she could. And that what she did, like you see that in Dear John, you see that in why can't I think of other songs? But just the song, just where she was like, you, I can do this. Better Than Revenge, The Story of Us. Like all of these moments where she's just like, I don't feel great, but I know I'm not a bad person. Mm-hmm. I know what I did wasn't evil or mean. Things just happened here that were painful. And because of that, I feel a lot, there's a lot of strength in the album. I feel like there's a lot of power. There's a lot of knowing yourself building off of that power that you're talking about about knowing yourself and having that power in that like coming out of that relationship I think that's even shown in the fact that she's the only writer of this album no one told her how she's feeling she said it herself yeah so that's definitely something to know um yeah I wrote down here for the theme and the message and this is less so about um the lyrics but more so about the time in her life and her public image and that is this is her boy crazy era this is where she was like coined as a serial dater and I think that because she talks about um you know some of the aspects of growing up and you know the less idealistic and harsh realities of being in a relationship and like understanding what you need and what you want in a relationship she she went through so many boys because that is what growing up is. You're supposed to know what you want. You're supposed to like set yourself up for success by dating people that suck. So, you know, Hey, that's not what I want the next time someone so similar walks around. So while I think that this is a really strong album and era for her, I think it was really harsh on her as well. 
Yeah. Absolutely. But mm-hmm. I think that's where, like, I don't know. I think in a lot of those periods of darkness for anybody, that's where, like, when you feel alone or when you feel bullied or when you feel beaten down, that's when you have to dig deep inside yourself and feel um, and, like, build that rock within yourself and, like, grasp tight on it and be like, I stand where I stand and I am, like, wholeheartedly standing there. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what you can also find in a lot of her songs in this album yeah. is that type of strength that she wants to pull out of herself to get through it. Before we jump into fashion, style, and image, let's talk about um, the main advertisement of this era, which is Wonderstruck, obviously. Yeah. Did you have that perfume? I did not. Me it, neither. I didn't. I did not. My friends did. I had friends who did, and I would use it all the time, and I could draw you a picture of what the bottle looked like with my eyes closed what did it smell like I never got to smell it like nothing like what was it like was it I believe it was like sugary it was Mm. like sugary and sweet are you looking it up yeah I'm gonna look up the notes (laughs) I that is one perfume that I am so mad I know well I mean like how could I have bought this I was literally 11 years old when the album no literally fruity sweet vanilla main notes are going to be Top notes are raspberry, blackberry, tea, apple blossom, and freesia. Middle notes are vanilla, honeysuckle, and hibiscus. Base notes are peach, sandalwood, amber, and musk. I remember it smelling like syrupy sweet. Like, I remember it feeling like you were about to be drinking a glass of juice. Like, it had that, like, that, like, syrupiness of, like, a concentrated juice beverage to it. But, like, sugary and just, like, delectable. In, like, a 10-year-old that has perfume on them type of way. Like, the way that every person... Like sweet pea being the quintessential scent of my youth. Yeah. In okay. that energy. One thing that I mean, usually we'll jump to the re-record predictions at the end, but since we're talking about Wonderstruck, I really, really, really like this is my hope and my dream that she'll re-release Wonderstruck with the re-release of Speak Now. I want it more than anything because now I have grown up money and I would buy 30 bottles of those perfumes. Absolutely. Also, the bottle was so cute. Even now the bottle's cute. Mm-hmm. Timeless. Do you, know, you remember what it looked oh, like? Oh, of course. Of course. All right. Let's talk about fashion style and image. So for me, I think that this was like kind of the beginning of her twee era, not like full in, but I'm going to say it's more of the um, retro side of her fearless looks. Um, pretty conservative. I think her goal here was like to make her look unassuming and friendly, whereas the goal with fearless was to make her look um, more sophisticated. Absolutely. I think if you go back to when you were talking about how she was being portrayed in the media, I was just like a man eater with what she was wearing during the area was like what the words that I had written down was flowy, soft, girly and feminine. And Mm -hmm. I feel like she wanted to like the difference in what was being written about her to like what was being shown of her. Like you're looking at this girl wearing these like tulle, soft, flowy dresses. They're all hitting her knees. She's showing a little bit more chest and shoulders, but not cleavage, if that makes sense. Like, mm-hmm. the coverage was lower than it was. Yeah. And it was just this, like, soft elegance to it. And then you have, like, everything being written about her, that she's this girl that just goes around dating everyone. And I don't think that's who people had in mind when they would imagine it. You hear about this girl who has a million and one boyfriends in Hollywood. You're not imagining her to wear, like, a soft purple gown that you could go to wear as your Sunday best. Like Yeah, totally. I wrote down that this era for me felt kind of boring. It just felt like fearless. Sorry, sorry. Not like the era wasn't boring, but the outfits kind of were. I was like, give me something. Like she softened her curls, which I think was a really great move. I think that did bring a little bit more sophistication than to have like those wild ringlets in the back of a pickup truck. So, you know, you do have that grown up look. Um, pretty somewhat laid back, a a little bit vintage. And I think that she's starting to introduce heels in this era. Yeah, lots of purple, lots of dresses. I feel like she... What do you think the defining song of the era is, Miss Riley? Do you want to say it on the count of three and see if we have the same one? Yeah, I do. Okay. Okay, three, two, Two, one. one. Dear John. Enchanted. No. Fuck. (laughs) The way that we... We're so off, and you know what? You're going to end up changing my mind every time. Ah, the way that we have not been the same ones. Like, I'm like, oh, we're totally going to both 
have enchanted. We're both gonna say enchanted. No. Go off. Tell me why it's enchanted. Enchanted is the quintessence of Wonderstruck, of the purple, of the flowiness, of the thrillness of the album. It has that fairy tale like sound to it while still being powerful. It's about love. It's about honesty. It's about seeing that even in pain, there's still light. I was enchanted to meet you, even though uh, you were the worst person in the world. I'm gonna kind of go off on why I think Dear John is the defining song of the era. And here's what I think. I think that this is the first track five where we really get to know what a track five means. I mean, what a, like you have Cold As You on debut. Is it White Horse on Fearless? Is that is that what it is? I'm pretty sure. It sounds like White Horse would be like a good track five. But it's, Dear John is the first track five where you're like, okay, this girl knows what heartbreak is and she's still coming out on the other side. And I think that this is also like, you think about her boy crazy reputation at the time and this is peak boy crazy. She literally put her ex's name in the song and and like disguised it as a Dear John letter. Like, like I'm not saying she's boy crazy, but Blondie's crazy, period. It was cheap songwriting, though. It was cheap songwriting, but why? You know no, love it me? wasn't. No, it wasn't. No, it wasn't. John why you know love me? Why you know love me? Like, come on, why get you out of here. Why you know love me? Why you know love me? Yeah, and then he I, followed up with Paper Doll a year later, anyways. Like, he literally wrote a song about her. So whatever. yeah, um, I think that this song is also a no, uh, is also a nod to like that boy crazy reputation, and it's the first step that we get that goes past those fairy tale red carpet looks and it's past that whimsical romance. I think that this song really grounds the album. Like you have Enchanted, which is flowy and sparkly and tool, but Dear John really like takes you crashing down to earth and it's like, Kate Taylor Swift is a grown up now. There's no more castles. There's no more princes. This is what real life is like. And she's singing about it. I think it's raw and emotional. I think if you look at the album, I think Enchanted and I think Dear John are going to be two, like, two sides of the same coin. Like they're going to be like the exact opposite of each other. They are heads, they are tails, but they are, they are together holding hands as they're walking through the fire. Okay, that is like the best analysis I've ever heard. I'm going to give you a big fat kiss on the lips when I see you. <laughs> <that one. sighs> okay, any re-record predictions here besides Wonderstruck? Do you think it's next? I don't know. Tommy thinks yes. I think that there are so many more, like, Speak Now clues that are more obvious than the 1989 clues. I think that the 1989 clues are a little bit more of a reach than the Speak Now ones, because you look at, I mean, okay, okay, hear me out here. Here the, the like, <laughs> I keep name. sighing, and then you're like, watch it, girl. I, I'm just like, hold on, hold on, hold on. The the first few things that really stick out at me is you look at, okay, what when's the last time that Taylor's been seen? What's the project she's working on? And that was all too well timid version. She showed up to the premiere wearing a full-on velvet purple suit. She, that's one, okay. Then in an interview. No, I'm. Oh, go off. Have you seen the photos of her leaving Jack Antonoff's uh, studio the other day? Oh, like, yeah. Like last week, two weeks ago? Yeah, okay, yeah. Okay, that, that's a whole different story, but. Yes. What do you mean? No, tell me. Nothing. It's just like, what's she have up her sleeve right now? What is she writing? Oh my gosh, I know. Well, okay. Did you what notice that in the okay. picture, her hair isn't super blonde? It's like looking a little darker yes, than I usual. Did. Yes, and I did. I think that that is a nod towards her older self in the all too well 10 minute music video where her hair is orange and she's reading the story of us. Oh my gosh. Are you stupid? Like, come on. Speak Now is definitely next. I think it's like, I also would say I could see Speak Now being next only because the 1989 Easter eggs, the 1989 hints came before Red. I was actually so caught off guard when Red was next. That, what? who did she do that interview with? What, exactly what you're talking about. And it was the who was it with? Stephen Colbert. Stephen Colbert. Steve, oh my god, the way that we're just naming different talk shows and we're like- No, 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 because no, I remember, I remember watching that one. Oh, okay, well, here's- The thing is, is that- She had like all of the different, she had all the different 1989 references on that board that all connected to a million different things, they all had a bunch of different dates to them and all of that, like, the more you dissected that whole board, 
it just went 1989 mm-hmm. all across it. And then the fact that she followed it up with red? What do you mean? No, and you know what? I think that she's going to... Because 1989, and we'll get to this when we talk about that era, but that was one of her most like successful albums, and that was her first diverge from country into pop. And I think that because it was one of her most successful albums, I think she's just going to keep stringing us along, and that's why I don't yeah. want to put all of my basket or eggs into that basket, because I don't want to get hurt. <laughs> so Speak Now's next. Okay. I think I do think there's a better chance of Speak Now being next. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about so. what happened on October 22nd, 2012. Miss Blondie. Jamie. What? You're going to say my name? No, I was going to say, Jamie, what happened on that day? <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, Miss Blondie released Red. And she said that this is her only ever true breakup album. So I agree. I, <laughs> I agree. I'm not going to fight with her. She wrote the Bible, if all I like know. Um, my queen. My queen, my god, my savior. What is the message of this era or the theme? Heartbreak. I think you look at songs like Begin Again and there's the power of like life after breakup. I think there was like an importance in like, again, owning who you are and like the different sides of heartbreak, like all those sides of grief, like destruction and then like renewal also, like, leaning on other people you have. There's a lot of importance about who she had around her at the time. Her girlfriends, the people in her life. Her girlfriends. Um, and... So, and, we could talk about Kaylor for days. Um, but I think there's, like, a big importance. I think there also was, like, just... I think you could already see those themes of, like, change. And, like experimentation and development and um just like reach like breaking down what she'd always been done doing and like branching out into some new things you even hear like a new sound that comes out of red that is more country pop than anything else like Mm -hmm. that she has produced she has those anthems that are like 22 we are never get ever getting back together like you have these songs that are like just so different to what she's done before and have become anthems mm-hmm. so yeah i agree um i wrote down the theme and message of this album is 22 with 30 exclamation marks she yeah. is 22 like this is the we are album. we are 22 we are 22 and how amazing is it that we get to experience the re-records at 22 like oh, oh feels gosh. good to be god's favorite it really does um when nothing when nothing new came out, like oh, literally, oh my god, Jamie, nothing, nothing new came out all of like two, three weeks before my literal twenty second birthday, and I cried my eyes out to it. Mm-hmm. How can a person know everything at eighteen and nothing, nothing at twenty two? As I, I sit that. alone in my apartment in a city <laughs> where I have next to no friends, and I'm starting over, and I'm literally beginning again. How can a person know everything at 18 and nothing at 22? I think that is a defining line. I I am in my red area. I know that we didn't have nothing new at the time that the album came out. It is a vault track. We just received it this year. But I think the line, how can a person know everything at 18 and nothing at 22 is defining. That's the difference of fearless and red. I think they both are powerhouses. I think they both have that same type of like taking what's inside of you and pulling it out. I think they have showing it, proving yourself, coming out as who you are to the industry as a performer. But I think it also, the difference is at fear, like in Fearless Era, she was like, oh yeah, I've got this. And at Red, she's like, I do not. Mm. And I think that's such a big juxtaposition of the two. And I think that line could define the era if it had existed at the time. But I'm glad it didn't until now because I'm glad I got it when I turned 22. I agree. And I think that if she would have released it at 22, people wouldn't have taken it as seriously as they do now. Yep. Now that she has, Absolutely. she's been through that huge drama with, with Kimye and she's gone off the grid and she's come back a totally different person. I think that, you know, we hold her lyrics in a little bit of a higher regard at this point just because... I don't know. I think that she has more of a fan base now with the rise of TikTok as well. Like, I think that it, it there's lower barriers to entry to become a Swifty. It's easy to like her music now because you every 
social platform you're on, you see people dissecting these lyrics and appreciating them a little bit more. And I also think that, you know, with those re-records um, and those vault tracks, they would take people like off guard if we hadn't seen the lyricism of Folklore and Evermore beforehand. Yeah. But anyway, I digress. Let's talk about fashion. <laughs> ho ho! Let's talk about that's fashion. one word. That's one word to describe the era. I wanted to be Taylor Swift. This is my favorite era for this reason. I love the nautical looks. The stripes, the yes. blues, the blacks, the navies, and the reds. Oh my god, her red lip. Iconic. Iconic. Cutting the hair off, the bang. The bang. Wearing it. She would like she would like straighten her hair and then curl it and not do her natural curl anymore. There was just this cleared line in the sand that she devised. She wore shorts. She wore pants. It wasn't dresses anymore. That alone, like everything she was doing was separating. It wasn't the nude. It wasn't the soft makeup anymore. Harsh makeup. Mm-hmm. The changing of the wardrobe in a 360 dark, sharp colors. Tweet. Everything about it. Hollywood. Yeah, it was just a line in the sand saying, I am not who I have been before this. Mm-hmm. But I think that also was something that Hollywood told her too. Yeah. How she was treated in 2009 after the VMAs, how she was treated after everything with John Mayer, with um, Joe Jonas, with Taylor Lautner, with everyone, even like Jake Gyllenhaal at the time of Red, like after she was tweeted or treated after all of these relationships, like even Hollywood said, you're not the girl that we brought up here. So she was like, fine, then I won't be them. And it was the first time we ever saw her go like, fine, then I'll start something new and I'll do it again. And you know what? And I'll still be successful doing it. And I'm still going to be successful. Um, I wrote down 50s, 60s housewife vibes. Like, um, yep. looking at, like, the pearls, the Peter Pan collars, um, the skater skirts, the flats. Um, I'm also thinking about the T-length dresses and skirts and collars and, like, a very retro femme vibe. Um, the red lips are here to stay at this point. I think they were introduced yes. to speak now, but... I would say that they're a red staple over Speak Now. I think the difference of Speak Now red lips and 1989 red lips is... Um, you mean red red lips? Or, date- or 1989? Yeah. Red, red red lips, sorry. And 1989 red lips. Oh, okay. All okay. The difference... I don't know why I messed it up. Um, red red lips, Speak Now lips is the difference of wearing it as a stage look and wearing it as a street look. Mm. I think Speak Now wore red lips as like um as more of like a glamour thing. And Taylor Swift during the red era taught me that red is a nude. <laughs> and I still mm-hmm. red lipsticks are a day-to-day look. You can wear them every you. single day and it is scary. I wore I wore red lipstick all the damn time in junior high when this album came out. I was a red lipstick girly because I had blonde hair too I had that look on me I had the bangs I was like I'll toss on a red lip yeah I'm in grade seven I'll toss on a red lip and I did and I looked good and I bet you made it look really good I, I know Riley and I met after high school so all right any significant advertisements friendships relationships and locations I'm gonna ask locations because I want to see if you're thinking what I'm thinking um Maggie Gyllenhaal's house on Thanksgiving that wasn't the one I had written down because my mind was going to Swift Run. I was thinking Hyannis Port. Okay, okay. But Maggie Gyllenhaal's house, yes. Um. <laughs> um, definitely, like, bringing in that New York life. You could see that she was not in the South anymore. Yeah. That was a big difference, too. You could see that was being defined. Um, you could see the inspiration of what was around her. Mm-hmm. She was in... She was an adult. She was living on her own. She was in, living in the big city, and her friends also represented that, represented that, like, who she was surrounding herself with. It wasn't just Abigail. It wasn't just her mom. It was men, and it was, yeah, like, it was men, and it was her girls, and it was in the city, and it was adult. Um, except for Connor Kennedy, but I don't want to talk about that because he kind of bores me. <laughs> yeah, it was also just kind of boring. Yeah, that's, that's and also, I mean... If I was dating a Kennedy, I think I'd want someone to talk about it, but... No, we can't give him that. I don't really care about him. 
It's not bad. We don't have the time for it. We don't have the time for it. No, we don't. Connor Kennedy for another day. Yeah, seriously. Um, Okay, defining song. What do you think? Okay, I have two, and I have one that I have higher than the other. Okay, and it is. Start with the lower one. Start with my lower one. Mm -hmm. Start with my lower one. Yeah. Red. Red is my lower of the two. Mm -hmm. See, this is a powerhouse song. I think it defines the album. I think it defines the era. Yeah. I think it changes how her view on love has been since Speak Now and Fearless. We see that type of shift in powerful change. But mm-hmm. and I think it's just also, also it's the like like album title, right? Like it's just it was put on the album to define the album. Right. But if you were to ask me the song that defines the album for me, we are never ever getting back together. We have two totally different ideas because I have two, <laughs> and I was I was hoping that maybe one of them would be similar. But I have a red song that defines the album pre Vault Tracks, and a red song that defines the album post Vault Tracks. So I oh, I did not put a I do not have a Vault Track one, but I think I've already told you what my Vault Track is. So, but I would define I'm the not album even by. considering the Vault Tracks when I talk about the defining song because to me that doesn't exist in this red era. But I'm saying no, no, because the era the era is defined as a completely secular thing for us. Exactly, but I wish, and you mentioned this, but there are some songs that you look at the original like track list and you would brush over them or think that they're whatever, but until you get the insight from those Vault Tracks, you view those songs completely differently so i think that okay my defining song pre-vault track is sad beautiful tragic and she talks why are you laughing at me my girl why are you laughing um i think that sad beautiful tragic is the quintessential breakup song she knows it's coming to an end she's coming to terms with it she says good girls hopeful they'll be in long they will wait she's acknowledging that she's She's a good girl. She's been wronged. And this is a true breakup album. And I think that, you know, it, this is a really self-aware song. And I think that this is, like, the common thread between all breakup songs. But post-Vault Tracks, 22 is the most defining song. And you only... I thought have... you were going to... Sorry. Go. I thought you were going to say 22 was your defining song. It, it is. Only after I get the insight from Nothing New... And from, oh man, what other vault track is that? <sighs> like all too well, 10 minute and stuff like that. Like, yeah, that. And then also, oh, there's like a bonus track. But okay, here's the thing. So this album got released before I was on any streaming services. So I bought the album right away, but I didn't buy the deluxe edition. So okay, I really like these bonus tracks to me feel like vault tracks because I don't actually know them that well except for like girl at home that one I knew but that was the, the moment, moment I knew. knew the moment I knew I was like so, the moment I knew yeah 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 yeah. the moment I knew and so listening to all too well 10 minute version the moment I knew and then nothing new and then coming back to 22 for me made 22 feel way more impactful and insightful and it's like this girl is growing up and she just wants to have fun. She's single now. She just wants a good time. So I don't know. You have it depends on the day you ask. Sometimes I'll say sad, beautiful, tragic, and some days I'll say twenty-two. I do love that, and I would totally agree with that about twenty-two being so powerful when you have all the context. I think something that's really fun about this album for us is because it's a breakup album. People go through breakups differently, and I think it's really defining that you think sad beautiful tragic is a great breakup song and i think we are never ever getting back together is a great breakup song for probably the exact reasons like or the exact ways that we go through a breakup like i am absolutely screaming crying we are never ever getting back together because i'm angry i get angry (laughs) i'm an angry person to break up with don't break up with me i get angry i'm really good at throwing pity parties i've thrown so many of them (laughs) I'm a sad breakup girly. Exactly. And I think that's the first thing I noticed when you said it. I was like, oh my gosh, I think we have the same mindset, but just on separate terms. <laughs> I guess so. Um, any re-record comments? I guess we've really been talking about the vault tracks, but how could you not? Any comments on the re-record? So good. Um, I think there's just like, I think Red was held to a way higher standard when it was being re-released then. Fearless was because I think there's a larger cult following for Red than there is Fearless, even up to this day. 
And so I think with the album coming out, people were a lot more concerned on how it was going to turn out. And so I think for that reason, it was like not disappointing, but I think a lot of people, I think it was also the second one. Fearless got to be that first, it got to hold that first spot and it got to be all of these firsts that Red didn't get to be. And even now it's the same thing. Fearless got to be the first re-release. And so Red was held at that higher standard, the same way it was held as a higher standard when it was first released. And even then it's still at a higher criticism than the, than Fearless ever had. Mm-hmm. And so I love it and I think it's sweet. And I think the re-release of Red was the first time that I ever really loved Red and gave it like its day in the sun that I had never, like I loved a lot of songs on Red, but I don't know how many times that I actually sat there and listened to it in full over and over again. And the re-recording did that for me which I think is like super powerful and what it was able to do. Red was the first Taylor Swift concert I went to as a kid. And so um, like, I know she did a fearless tour and I didn't go to that because at the time I've never, se- I've never seen her. Whoa. My condolences. My condolences. You're going to have to pay like millions to see her now. I've never gotten to see her live. How crazy is that? That's actually pretty crazy, considering you're like 30 times the Swifty that I am. It makes me want to cry my eyes out, actually. It makes me want to cry if, if I think I about it too hard. I could go back in time, I would have forced myself to meet you, so I could have taken you along to the concert. Oh my gosh, thank you so much. <laughs> you're so welcome. If I could go back in time, I would force Taylor Swift to meet me, but... Oh my gosh. I would have done everything in my power to meet her. But... Right, so that's everything for right now. Um, we're going to be splitting this up into two parts, just because we talked a little longer than we were expecting to, but how could you not? Um, so check back for part two, where we'll be talking about 1989 and then onwards to Evermore. Absolutely. We'll get into her new pop era and revamped personality and how she was perceived by the Academy and the public. And it is definitely a way faster evolution that we'll see from 1989 forward. The changes are way more drastic. So we'll see you in the next part. Awesome. Thank you. Bye.